Well, good morning. The wait is over. Merry Christmas to each of you. What an exciting day. Hey, just some things we want you to be aware of. Next week is New Year's Day. Um, if you weren't aware, we're going to be partying. Um, just, to, just to make note, we're going to be doing uh, what we call our Wesley Covenant Service, where we come in as a church and people, and we come together, and we covenant together with God. And it is an important time. It is a time where we, we are anointed, we, we share the table together, and you won't want to miss it. Also, because it is the new year, I know this may be a shock and a surprise to you, but we are going to do something new. Woody always says, when is the last time you did something for the first time? I like that saying. And so next week as you enter, we would, we would appreciate if you would enter through the, the first, these front doors here. We are going to be working on our children's area, and eventually those back doors will be locked for their safety. So we will start a new practice on the first where you will just come through the foyer doors, and it will be uh, a great start to the new year. By the way, uh, thank you to each of you who have made it just a, a wonderful, I mean, Wonderful job in the foyer. You did a great job for all of those of you who worked on it. Thank you. We have a few things left, but uh, we are there. So thank you. Uh, this morning, we are finishing our series called The Future Present. You see, like today, there were an ancient people who, who looked for this little thing called hope. And they believed that at some point in history, there was kind of this anticipation, this excitement that there could be a new kind of existence. And they believed that God would give them this very gift. But little did they know that unexpectedly God's future of hope would break the present moment. You see, as God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in, 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 the, in the form of a baby, the future that they so much, they so longed for suddenly became present in this moment. So we have entitled it the future present. You see... We so often as Christians look for the coming of Jesus, but, but if we continually look for his coming, we will miss the Jesus that has already come to us in this very moment. And so we believe that the greatest gift that God has given us is his presence. What I like to say and what we say in our family is, his presence is our present. And so what we are learning as a church and what we are learning together is what will it look like for us to be, what, what, what might our presence look like as a present to somebody else? So, we believe that we are embodying, we are becoming, we are living out the kingdom of God in the future, made present. Would you pray for me this morning? Lord, we're so thankful on this wonderful day of the birth of your son. Who is the Savior of this world? We give you thanks that you meet us in the midst of our mess, that you meet us in the moments of our, our darkness, and you offer us a new kind of life, a new kind of light, and a salvation that we have never witnessed before. Would you be in these next few moments? May our hearts be open. May our minds be receptive. Amen. Amen. Well, I can remember as a kid, we, we took a trip. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I still remember the, the wet stone. I can remember the dampness of, of the rocks and the moss that were, were around me. I can, I can remember the damp dust that covered the, the floor of this historical masterpiece. I can remember the history foretold of, of Indians who lived this clandestine culture underneath the earth's crust. I remember the, 
a diminutive opening that led to a new discoveries of a world we've never seen before. You see, there was something about this, this opening that was drawing us in, that it would, it was enticing. But it was enticing in such a way that it drew us into this foreboding fear of the unknown. I'll never forget the, the guide saying, come with me. And he kind of took the fear that we had and he put it in front of us and he said, come with me. And many of you have been to this place called Mammoth Cave. Now, little did I know this day that I would experience darkness in my life like I've never experienced it before. I could remember as we, we walked down, and I was just a little kid. I remember the guide dousing the light, and, and in that moment, the warmth that the torch provided suddenly gave way to a chill and a cold that met the core of my body. I can remember, I, I began to shiver. I was wearing shorts. It was summertime. I began to shiver, and and the dark was so dense that I remember I, I wanted to see if I could see anything. So I took my hand and, and I put it in front of my face and I was seeing if I could see a finger or a, or a knuckle or anything at all. Any sign that I was still alive in the middle of this darkness. I can remember the people next to me who were literally inches away felt as though they were now miles apart, lost at sea in the middle of a deathly storm. I think there were other me too. You see, I remember a lady, a grown lady, uh, who suddenly began to weep, began to cry. And suddenly that, that cry turned into this panic-induced scrotophobia. I mean, she was so fearful of the dark. She was so fearful that the light would never come back, that she would be left in this darkness to fend for herself. You see, it was in that cave, in that moment, that darkness inhabited every inch of our lives, and it felt like an eternity. It felt like the light would never come. It felt like there would, there would be no hope. And I can remember it was in the cold dark that there was this flicker of light. The guide began to hit stone together. And all of a sudden, the torch lit up. And there was this light that now brought warmth again to us. There was, we were once aware that we're people right next to us. We felt as though we were a community. We felt as though we were once alive again. And we now have this light that was governing the path for us to discover the cave that was there all along. We just couldn't see it because we were in the dark. And I remember what it was like to have light give us life. You see, for many of us, Christmas is a time that really brings life to us. It gives us joy. It brings warmth and laughter and hope. But I'm also aware that for many of us, Christmas can be a time of complete and utter darkness for some of you. As my wife said the other day, Christmas turns some of us into Christmas elves and others of us into the Grinch. Rightfully so. Uh, but I know that, that for some of us, Christmas time is a time where we were reminded of the ones that we've lost over the year. You see, we shared special memories with, with our loved ones, and now that they are gone, we are reminded in their absence that we miss their presence. There are some of us who are reminded every Christmas that our job does not offer us the means to support our family, that our job does not provide us enough money to, to do the things that we would like for our family and with our family. Others of us suffer 
in the middle of winter from depression. You see why I think snow is beautiful and there's something majestic about it. Others of us only feel the cold chill of depression. Some of you have been told that you have an incurable disease, that maybe you can't walk again. Maybe you'll never do things that you've always wanted to do. And perhaps maybe there are some of you here today who have who've seen a doctor over the last few months and they've told you that perhaps you will not see another Christmas. You see, I get it during Christmas that oftentimes what is meant to be a time of joy and laughter and love really becomes a time where we see nothing but darkness and it feels as though there is no pathway out. It feels as though we are stuck. It feels as though we have no life ahead of us. But what I love this morning, what I love this morning, and we've already read it, but we're going to read it again because it's so good, is we are met with a prophet who writes us a poem in the middle of history because he understands that we are not the only ones who have experienced darkness in our life. You see, we have to understand who Isaiah is writing to today because the people of this day are facing a darkness and a despair that seems as though they will never get out of it history lesson for those of you who love history. There was this nation called Israel, and after Solomon, there were ten tribes, and they decided that they wanted to split because they couldn't get along together. And so ten of them decided to go to the north, and they were called Israel. And then two of them decided that they would go to the south, and they were called Judah, and their king was King Ahab. Now there was this massive army named Assyria, who was a global force for good. We've heard that before, right? thing is it was for their own good and nobody else's and so Assyria is on this massive conquest to destroy the whole world and make the world their own and so Israel and the north the, the the ten tribes in the north realize they're about to be given over to death and so they do what most people do they begin to make alliances with other countries so they so they can fight off Assyria well the problem is is King Ahaz and Judah in the south get wind that Israel and Assyria are about to annihilate them from the face of the earth. And so King Ahaz decides to do what most of us do in life. He decides to make a deal with darkness itself. He decides that he will, he will become dependent upon darkness to somehow find light. So he wants to make a deal with the Assyrian army. Well, they will partner together to then destroy everybody who wants to destroy them. And then comes the prophet Isaiah. You gotta love prophets. No, you don't. You hate prophets because they say everything that you don't want to hear. And so here comes Isaiah, and he, and he says to King Ahaz, he says, let me tell you, just, just for a second, I know that in your mind, all you can see is death. You can only see darkness. There is no path in front of you. And you are about to make a deal with the devil himself. But, but let me give you a vision of what could be. Let me give you a vision of what could be if you will simply place your trust in God. I love what he says. Chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and, and the land of Naphtali. But, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea and beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness 
have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased the joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Like warriors dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. This is really my favorite part, because it speaks to the kind of violent world they live in. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment that has ever been rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will become fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know this song. <laughs> you can't do it without singing. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, peace, there will be no end. Now, I love this language. He says, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establish it, upholding justice and righteousness. You have to hear this because what Isaiah is saying is that this, this son will do what David was never able to do. Uphold justice and righteousness and peace from that time on and forever. I have to say that the story doesn't end well. If you know your history, you know that King Ahaz decides he's not going to listen to Isaiah. And he does, as I said earlier, what most of us do. He makes a deal with darkness. He becomes dependent upon darkness. I think for many of us, it's easier to depend on things that are that are man-made, that are tangible, that are visible, rather than to trust in the invisible, the irregular, the unconventional God. You see, we think it is better to trust in darkness, disguised as light, than to trust in the light that feels as though it's going to leave us in the darkness. And so Isaiah gets that for, for you this morning. He gets that for the people of Israel this morning, that this is... This is a difficult thing that he's dealing with. In fact, he gives us a picture for just a moment that he gets the darkness. He says in, in verse 4, he says, he uses this language that says, yoke of his burden. And he uses three other descriptors. I don't have time to go through those today. But he talks about this yoke of his burden. Now this language is, is typically symbol, symbolism for, for a slave servitude. But Isaiah realizes this is, this is not about an individual. This is a national calamity that's about to happen. And so he uses the yoke of his burden as a symbol for foreign domination. Now I want to talk with you for just a few minutes about foreign domination. And I'm going to give you a really good visual and story. But many of you remember 9-11. Many of you remember these moments that were... We're so questionable. We had no clue what was happening. We were uncertain if someone was invading us. It felt as though I was re-watching Red Dawn and we were left to the whims of Patrick Swayze. Some of you have watched Red Dawn. That's what it felt like in that moment. And we were concerned, is this just a temporary thing? Or is this something that's going to last for a long time? Are we going to have random soldiers walking our street, foreign soldiers walking our streets, now ruling our lives? 
You see, it was just that moment in history for us that made us feel like life would never be the same. You see, the life that has given us so much freedom and so much joy felt as though it was going to be gone in just a, a split second. And I can remember, it, it was as though perhaps we may have to live in a different culture. You see, foreign domination, the idea of foreign domination and countries invading other countries is that whoever is invading wants to make the country look more like them. That we will indoctrinate them, we will force them, we will shape them into us. Because we're the ones that get it right. I think for us, foreign domination is a difficult concept because quite frankly, we're the ones that do all the dominating. Uh, but perhaps today we could, we could make a connection, a theological connection in your life about what foreign domination looks like. You see, I think foreign domination is a subtle thing in our life. Each of us lives out of some kind of story. I think stories are who we are. But there are counter stories around us that are trying to, in some sense, force themselves upon your lives. They are trying to reshape you into something other than what God has created you to be. You see, God has designed a life in such a way that, that when we live into that design, life is perfect. It may not feel like it, but it is. But there are counter stories around us that want to pull us away from what we know as God's followers. And so the counter stories that are coming at us every day that we buy into without even thinking about are things like power. We love being at the top. Money. How are you going to pay all them fines? Straight cash, homie. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad joke. Randy Moss. So we have power, we have money, we have fame, we, we, we idolize beauty and we idolize our identity in the jobs that we work. And somehow we think that those things will bring light and life into the world. That all you are is a petty little slave to the world's whims. You got me? So, so I want to give you a story this morning that kind of helps you understand what I'm trying to say. This is the last time I'll do this, I promise. It's the end of the year, so I won't do it again, but many of you know I love Vikings. <laughs> Vikings has been on my mind. I dream about Vikings. I dream about being a Viking. I, for some reason, I think it'd be cool to be shirtless in sub-degree temperatures. Uh, Sub-zero temperatures. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> But I'm reminded of this story. There is this English monk named Athelstane who, who lives in England, and he's a Christian. He's a practicing Christian. He prays every day. And, and all of a sudden, the Vikings realize that they can travel west. They don't have to travel east all the time. And so they travel to England, and they decide that they are going to plunder this village and the monastery that Athelstane lives in. And so here they come, the Vikings, and they destroy the church, they destroy the town, and they annihilate every person that was in the church, except for Athelstane. Now, King Ragnar, this big stud 
from Scandinavia, decides that he will take Athelstane back to his country where he will serve as a slave in a foreign country. Where Athelstane, a Christian, will essentially live in exile, serving the Vikings. What I love about the story is that throughout the series, Athelstane is committed to God. He's committed to being a Christian. He's committed to the God that he has served for so long. But the tension that he finds, the, the foreign force in his life, is that he finds himself part of all the Viking practices. You see, he loves to eat like a Viking. He loves to dance like a Viking. I don't know how Vikings dance. I think it's more of a chant kind of deal. He likes to dance like a Viking. He wears clothes like a Viking. He has hair like a Viking. He has abs like a Viking. I mean, this dude's ripped. And he looks, while though he's a Christian, he looks exactly like them. And the tension that we see with Athelstane over time is that he's on this spiritual pendulum, pendulum where he's going from, yes, I believe in God, and some of you have been here, to, yes, I want to believe in the Vikings, God. You see, the Vikings are very spiritual. They love Valhalla. They love Odin and Thor. And so he, he is caught in this tension of going back and forth. Who am I in this middle of exile? Who am I in foreign domination? And so it's in the middle of his darkness. It's in the middle of the darkest moments that God meets him. It is in the middle of the questions. It is in the middle of losing people in his life. It is in the middle of those dark moments that God meets him. And so I want to show you, because I can't describe it in words, but the imagery given here ties in with what Isaiah is talking about this morning. So I want to show you this clip.
Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, I've asked for a sign, and you've given me a sign. You've, you've answered my prayers. I, I was blind, but now, now I see. I was, I was dead, but I'm reborn. Father, hear my prayer, and let my cry come unto thee. What a great, what a great visual. What I love about what he says in this moment, he says, I am reborn. Well, he doesn't say this, I think implicit to what's happening, and that is, this is a whole story of new creation. This is a story of new creation, and I think what Isaiah is wanting to do with this poem that he writes to us today is tell us and remind us the story of creation. You see, when we hear these words, darkness and light, we are reminded at the very beginning of time when, when God is hovering over chaos and formlessness and there is emptiness and he begins to hover over it and he begins to mold and shape the earth into his. And there comes this moment where, where God separates the light from the dark and he says, let there be light very beginning of history, we see let there be light. But then there, there's this other moment in history where God meets us in the middle and he sends his son and he says, I will send light into the darkness of the world. And what I love about this story of Jesus is that the world that is being shaped around him is not one of violence and hatred, but it is moving toward a new creation that is founded upon a, a counselor. And a God who brings peace and love that is everlasting. So there is light in every moment of history. And then we get to today. Where is the light? Because we feel as though we're in the dark. You see, I truly believe that God's grand story moves us from let there be light to let us be light. From let there be light to let us be light. You see, light cannot be recognized when it is up against light. Light can only be recognized in contrast to darkness. And so God has now inserted us into history where we will be a light as his people in the middle of darkness. Amen. It's good preaching. Applestain does something interesting. Applestain doesn't go back to the monastery. He doesn't go back to practicing being a monk. But rather, he remains a light in the darkness. You see, I love after this scene, he goes to King Aragnar and he says, God has changed my life. And you can see the, the joy reflecting off of his face. And he lives among those people. You see, He's martyred not too long after that. It's not a great story, but spoiler alert, I was supposed to say that. Um, 
But the beauty of the story is that as King Aragnar, this Viking who has submitted himself to the other gods, on his deathbed says, I would like to be baptized like my friend Athelstane, the Christian. You see, if it wasn't for Athelstane being present in the darkness of Viking life, King Ragnar would have never seen the light. What a beautiful picture. You see, I think, I think we, just as our God meets us in our messiness, we are called to be the light in the darkness. Let us be light. I, I have to share this psalm with you. It's all of about two sentences because I think it captures it all. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. We know this. And make his face shine on us so that, so there is something that happens when, when God's face shines on us. So that his ways, baby, known throughout the earth and your salvation among all nations. You see, it is only when we find ourselves in direct connection with the light that the light then reflects off of our face into the darkness. You see, you have become a living being and a reflection of God's light to the world. What a beautiful thing that when we are in line with God's light, the beauty that now shines upon our faces, reflected into the world, and it is not by, not by him, but by your face and his glory that has shown on you that the salvation is known to the world. You see, salvation is known because you have become a reflection of what salvation looks like. You have become a reflection of what hope looks like in the world. Whew, I'm excited. I don't know what's wrong with you guys this morning, but this is great. So my question to you is this. We have one week of this year left. Perhaps this is the question for you this coming year. How will you be light this year? From let there be light to let us be light. Good thing you didn't take notes today because Janelle and I took them for you. As you walk out, you'll receive a gift from our family to you. And on, on the angel that you'll receive is a card that says, let us be light. Say, thanks, Pastor, for taking notes today. You're welcome. 